We have to take better care of each other. We have to take better care of our most vulnerable. This ordinance is a moral failing on that front. It is a legal failing in the most fundamental ways, and it is a financial failing. And I think the city is finding out right about now that ego can be really expensive. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association, Oklahoma. I'm Whitney Sapola, and I serve as the association's advocacy specialist. On today's episode, we are going to be exploring Oklahoma City's infamous anti-panhandling slash median safety ordinance that the city of Oklahoma City passed in 2015. When it was first introduced, it was brought forth as an ordinance to reduce panhandling and later amended and language changed to focus on median safety to try to get around some legalities. It has since been challenged in court and recently was deemed unconstitutional by the U.S. 10th Circuit Court of Appeals. Now it is up to the city council to decide if they want to drop it and accept that it is an unconstitutional ordinance or continue fighting to defend the ordinance and take it to the Supreme Court. This means at the October 27th council meeting, counselors will be voting. To do a deep dive into this issue and what you can do about it, we've invited an all-star panel of guests on the show. Dan Strawn serves as the executive director of the Homeless Alliance in Oklahoma City. The journal record recently published his editorial on this issue. You can find a link to it in the show notes. And we're also thrilled that Megan Lambert is joining us today as well. She is a staff attorney at ACLU Oklahoma. Okay, let's get the conversation started. The mental health download starts now. Dan and Megan, thanks so much for being with us on the podcast today to discuss this really important topic. Dan, let's start with you. This all started back in December of 2015. Could you walk us through the original Oklahoma City ordinance that was passed and what its intended purpose was? Sure. So back in 2015, some folks became really concerned about panhandling and how it looked and complained to their city councilors. And Ward 6 city councilor at the time, Megan Salyer, drew up an ordinance and and when it was first presented its its title as you mentioned was anti-panhandling ordinance and so human service providers like like the homeless alliance and catholic charities and others in public comment you know made the very clear point that panhandling's an issue of poverty in Oklahoma City and there were much more effective productive compassionate ways to address those issues than criminalizing being poor those arguments didn't get very far, but then the ACLU set, stood up and said, this is a free speech issue, and we're going to sue the living day do lollies out of you, and you'll have to walk around the city without any pants. And that argument made some, made some headway, and so the council went back to the drawing board and, and really barely changed the ordinance at all, but retitled it a medium safety ordinance. So... Then there was much debate over that fig leaf. And again, human service providers made the point that there wasn't really about median safety. And the Tenth Circuit's 
decision makes that really clear. I mean, they looked at 10,000 vehicle pedestrian accidents over the course of 30 years and couldn't find a single one where the where the accident victim was standing on the median. But the council passed it anyway. And then as and it prohibited standing, sitting or staying on the median. And it was it was problematic. The ACLU and, and others filed suit. And so the city went back to the ordinance and made some more changes to make it appear to be more about median safety than about panhandling. But the changes they made were problematic in themselves. So it was, you know, if, if a median was so wide and on a street that had such and such a speed limit and was raised more than six inches, this is crazy that made it really challenging for for law enforcement to to enforce the thing. So pretty quickly after those changes were made, law enforcement really laid back on actually writing tickets. Now, you know, obviously, there's other ways to enforce that ordinance, and they can just go to the the person standing on the meeting and say, this is illegal, and if I come back by here in 30 minutes and you're still here, I'm going to write you a ticket. And, and so there was some of that going on, but few tickets written. You touched a little bit on how the ACLU intervened. So, Megan, could you walk us through why did ACLU Oklahoma get involved and kind of throughout the entire process, what has this court case and lawsuit looked like? Absolutely. So we got involved alongside community partners, as Dan said. So whenever the city first proposed this explicitly anti-panhandling ordinance, our legal director at the time showed up at the city council meeting and explained how not only is this an immoral and inappropriate response to the visual reminder of poverty, it's also blatantly unconstitutional. And as Dan said, they went ahead and revised it. We sent them a letter letting them know that their revision may have changed some of the language, but it was still unconstitutional in only slightly different ways. They went ahead and passed that ordinance. And so we like to keep our promises here at the ACLU of Oklahoma. So accordingly, we sued their pants off. It was because it was unconstitutional on on a lot of different levels and because it violated the free speech rights of a really broad section of Oklahoma society. So not only did the language that was passed violate the free speech rights of panhandlers and folks who are selling curbside chronicle magazines, it also violated the free speech rights of political parties who were advocating for uh, political candidates. It violated the rights of political activists who were advocating for causes from medians, violated the rights of journalists who were reporting the news from medians, and even a few joggers, because the language was, as Dan said, banned sitting, standing, or staying on medians. That affects and restricts so much speech and expressive conduct on medians that this was not the kind of broad free speech restriction that we were going to let stand. And on top of that, the explicit reason why this ordinance was passed was not something that we were going to abide. It was the criminalization of poverty in the face of the reminder that some Oklahomans are struggling. So not only is that an unconstitutional uh, legal failing, 
that's a moral failing. That's the criminalization of poverty. And that's an affront to a variety of fundamental values that we have as a nation. Uh, so we, we saw this really horrific affront to poverty and the First Amendment. We exhausted all other options. And so then we sued. And through the course of this litigation, uh, this case has been going for about four years now. The city fought us tooth and nail on every point. They did amend the ordinance about midway through the district court proceedings. But again, they just made it unconstitutional in a slightly different way. So the restriction used to be no sitting, standing, or staying on medians that were less than 30 feet wide, with a couple other exceptions. Then they revised it to say no sitting or staying on medians that are along streets with 45 miles an hour greater speed limits. What that did, it didn't tether the ordinance to public safety in any way. Rather, it restricted folks from going out onto those high visibility medians where panhandlers make the most money because they see the most people, where political activists uh, can have the widest audience. So it it still affected a lot of free speech and did so in a way that created an even stronger harm. So we, we lost in the district court. They said medians may be a very protected place for free speech. However, there may be some traffic safety justification here. We're not going to look too much into that. We're just going to say, yes, it's fine. It's constitutional. So we appealed that decision to the United States 10th Circuit Court of Appeals and they actually dug into the record. They looked at all of those auto pedestrian accident reports, and I looked through each and every one of those personally, and not a single one involved someone on a median. So the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals was not impressed by the restriction of a fundamental right to free speech in the center of the public square where free speech protections are the greatest, with absolutely no safety justification. So they found, yes, free speech is protected on medians, and yes, this is an unconstitutional restriction of that fundamental right. Dan, I'd love to hear your your unfettered thoughts. (laughs) Well... (laughs) So through, through the course of this, and, and, and I should say the city council has taken up this issue of should we appeal to the, we ask for review by the U.S. Supreme Court twice now and, and third time this coming Tuesday. The first time and the second time, human service agencies like mine and, and several others made the, made the moral argument that, that Megan's given so so eloquently, and ACLU and others have made the legal argument that Megan detailed. There's also just a, a straightforward economic argument. And coming to homeless services, as I do from banking, and specifically Federal Reserve Banking, the economic issue is it seems to me overwhelming. So, in my op-ed for the journal record, that was the position I took, that what the city has spent so far, which has been 234000 for outside counsel, and who knows how much 
time and effort uh, Kenny Jordan, the uh, city attorney and his staff have devoted to this issue. And then, of course, the court ruled just last Monday, I think, or maybe this Monday, that the that the city's on the hook for the plaintiff's costs. So let's assume they're roughly the same. So the city's got $500,000 of skin in the game. And I think some of the some of the counselors' reluctance not to ask the Supreme Court for review is, is this thought that, my God, we've already spent a half million dollars on this deal. If we, if we stop here, that money's gone. And, and that is a really common issue that economists call the sunk cost fallacy. And people get trapped in it all the time of throwing good money after bad. That is what we're at risk of doing in this case. That money is spent. It's gone. It's sunk. Their only consideration, it's sunk whether they appeal or not. So their only consideration should be, what's the return on investment going forward? And there essentially isn't. I mean, the, as, as Megan pointed out, less than 1% of the cases asked for review actually get in the door. And the circuit court made it really plain in their opinion that to regulate speech in the public square, the courts long held that they have to, to pass what, what they call strict scrutiny, which is a really high bar. And the circuit court said this ordinance didn't even pass intermediate scrutiny. So a less than 1% chance of getting in the door and an even lower chance of winning when they get there, the idea of continuing to uh, expend city sales tax dollars to defend this ordinance, which has accomplished nothing in five years. It certainly hasn't reduced panhandling and it didn't increase median safety because we didn't have a median safety problem. So there's no return on investment to go forward with this. It's, it's time to cut our losses and do the things that we know we need to do to address poverty in the community. More substance use treatment services, more mental health services, more job training and placement services, more primary health care access. All those things that lift people out of poverty instead of writing tickets to them. So, Dan, you started to touch on it. My good friend Matt Gleason always likes to ask guests of the podcast if you had a magic wand to help remedy the situation at hand, what could fix this problem instead of punishing and criminalizing panhandlers? What are some of those root causes that would actually help people in those situations instead of putting more barriers in place? Sure. So, so obviously, from my perspective as the exec of the Homeless Alliance, that's homelessness and housing. Those are our those are our primary issues. And the thing people sometimes don't understand is homelessness is a poverty issue. It's about the cost of housing versus the level of poverty in the community. And if I had that magic wand and could wave it and instantly cure all mental illness all substance use, I would still have two thirds to three quarters of my homeless population in Oklahoma City because it's about poverty. And that's 
that's frankly what panhandling is about. People panhandle. You know, panhandle because it's fun. They do it because they're in desperate need and they they can't find or think of an other alternative. And so finding ways to address poverty, better educational system, more access to primary health care, more truly affordable housing in the community, more mental health treatment, more substance use treatment. Those are those are all the ways that you could do this better. And, it, and it's instructive. Tulsa has this program now, A Better Way, where they engage panhandlers and they pay them for a day of work. And at the time the ordinance was being debated, that didn't exist in Tulsa, but it was it was a pilot program in Albuquerque and they'd had some success with it. And so we had gone to the council to say, look, instead of this ordinance, give us 50 grand and we'll implement Albuquerque's Better Way program here. And you will see in the course of a year that between Curbside Chronicle and something like that, we can actually have a positive impact reducing panhandling in the community. And they, they basically said, thanks, but no thanks. And a better way in Tulsa pays individuals who would typically panhandle uh, and they work on city beautification and pays a fair wage for individuals who might be panhandling and they have that on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. And I think it's a great point to bring up, Dan. And in Tulsa, we saw that it was a really broad coalition of the city of Tulsa, local nonprofits and a lot of philanthropic leaders who came together and wanted to approach this in a different way than Oklahoma City. I'm glad you brought that up. I just wanted to throw out there that it's lovely that, that Tulsa does the a fair wage for a day of work, but maybe the more important aspect of that program is that at the end of the day, you're given the opportunity to engage in other services. So like I say, primary health care, mental health services, substance use services, housing, that, I mean, that's the way to handle this issue, not criminalizing. Absolutely. Megan, what would you do with your magic wand? I think it's important to say that we don't actually need a magic wand to fix this problem. All we need is a city council that is willing to look at the root issues of poverty in Oklahoma City and to provide housing, as Dan said, to provide mental health services, to treat substance abuse as the disease that it is rather than as a crime, to provide free access to health care, to include mental health in that free health care. These are things that our city council has the power to do themselves. So I, I would love to talk about what we could do with a magic wand, but I think it's important to note that we don't need one to fix this problem. City council could do that. And I will add, if our listeners who live in Oklahoma City want to get involved, the city council is voting on October 27th. So please use your voice, reach out to your city councilor. We'll put a link in the show notes for you to find your city councilor and with their contact information, ask them to cut their losses and to truly invest in, invest in people and policies that do not criminalize those who are already down. Oklahoma City can do better. Use your voice to help make that happen. Is there anything else that either of you would like to say? I know we're uh, running out of time for our conversation today, but I, I sure appreciate both of you being here. 
I know you are incredibly busy and both doing vital work for our communities, but I would like to ask you, do you have one last piece of wisdom that you would like to share with our audience? I, 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 you know, it's, this just feels like such a no-brainer to me on the part of the council. And I'm sure there is a reason why they've deferred this vote now twice. But like I say, it just it's an ordinance that never worked, didn't work, was unconstitutional from the get-go. And there are so many better ways that we could be investing our money. And this is this has cost, you know, at least a half million dollars. And that's ten full-time street outreach workers, half million bucks. That could have had a real impact. So I guess I guess that's my parting shot is this one this one just I know the city council faces difficult decisions with every meeting, but this should not be one. It's easy. I would say we have to take better care of each other. We have to take better care of our most vulnerable. This ordinance is a moral failing on that front. It is a legal failing in the most fundamental ways, and it is a financial failing. And I think the city is finding out right about now that ego can be really expensive.